voice. All different kinds of backgrounds, grew up in all kinds of different houses, churches, came to know the Lord in all kinds of different ways, but one common bond, and that's Jesus, and that's who we celebrate. And so with one voice, collectively, we lift up our voices, and, and it's, it's beautiful to God, even though we may not sound beautiful to each other, um, it's beautiful to God because that's a, a gift we bring back to Him. This morning... Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, okay. Do you guys not like moms? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Yes, okay, good. My, my mother's in the house for this special Sunday, so that's awesome. We're going to take two offerings here in a second. First is normal. If you're a guest, just let it go. Uh, second one's missions. Okay, so since it's Mother's Day, we're going to greet each other, but, you know, everybody's got to hug a mom. So find a mom and give them a hug. can set us free from the chains that hold us down to sin and fear and death. And God, we no longer have to fear death, so we no longer have to fear anything because you have set us free from the penalties of sin and death in this world. God, we, um, we stand here humbled because of what Jesus did for us. We stand here free because of what Jesus did for us. We stand here no longer slaves. We are free men and women. We are free to worship you. We are free to call you king. We are freed from our chains and our bonds that hold us down, God. We no longer have to be satisfied by earthly things. We no longer have to be satisfied by the vices that we continue to go back to because we are no longer slaves to those things. God, you have set us free and we can know true freedom in the name of Jesus. And so, God, for that, we thank you this morning. We thank you because you are our king. We thank you, Jesus, that you obeyed your father and went to the cross so that we could be free, so that we're not slaves anymore. And so I pray that we can sit in the peace of that this morning, that we can sit in the freedom of that this morning, God. Any lies that we're believing. Father, we claim the name of Jesus over those lies because where the, the blood of Jesus covers us, the lies of Satan have no place. And so, Father, I just pray against those lies this morning in everybody's life here that we would stop believing those lies and we would sit in your presence for who we really are in you, and that is free in the name of Jesus. And so I just proclaim freedom over this group of people today because Jesus died on the cross for us and his blood covers us. So we thank you, God. We thank you that we are free no matter what we have done, no matter what we do, and no matter what we will do, God, that we are free because of Jesus' blood. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Happy Mother's Day. We uh, hope that moms, you're good. I can bet that some of you are stressed out this morning. Um, I think about uh, my wife, and I married her for a lot of reasons. Um, 
but when I think about her as a mom, it gives me even more reasons to love her because she was Superwoman before, and now she is like, I don't know what's better than Superwoman, but she's even more Superwoman, you know? I'm just like, I got nothing on that one because she's already awesome. How can you be more awesome? Well, take care of some kids, right? I, uh, I have a confession to make. I love all of your kids, but I realized after I had my own how much I hate other people's kids. I'm just kidding, because when you have your own to take care of, whew, that's enough, right? I want all the moms in the room to please sit down. Everybody else stand up. Everybody else stand up, because we need to pray for our moms. They need to relax. Today is a day of relaxation for moms, so they don't get to do any work, okay? Um, so, but the rest of us, I would just want to pray together for the moms in the room, because they need strength. Uh, they need longevity. Uh, they need sanity. Um, but they need to feel honored by us today also because they are amazing people. Um, and so let's just pray for them now. God, I just thank you for, I thank you for my mom. Um, I thank you for how much she put up with me um, growing up. I thank you for all the moms in the room. Um, God, I, I thank you, um, God, that you have made them the way that they are. Um, even for uh, moms that never thought they could be a mom. God, you have strengthened them to love their kids beyond anybody else in this world. And so, um, God, I, I, we're thankful that that love drives them to put up with so much. Um, and God, so I pray that today they would feel honored. I pray that we would not neglect saying thank you to them and really mean it. I pray that we would not neglect to go out of our way um, to show honor and thanks to our mom. I pray that you would just strengthen them. I pray that you would give them rest. I pray that you would give them peace. I pray that they would claim the name of Jesus over the hard days um, when they don't think they can take anymore. That they would claim the power and the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to be able to press on. Um, God, moms are amazing, amazing people. The hardest job with the least amount of pay in the whole world. Um, and so God, I pray that you would just honor them this morning. They could sit here in peace, um, knowing that, that uh, they're not perfect, um, but their husbands are less perfect. Um, and so, I'm just kidding. We are all not perfect, God. Um, and so I just pray that you would strengthen them. Uh, God, we are thankful for our moms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. I'm going to sit down this morning. I've been told twice in the past month uh, that I favor the right side, so I'm just not going to look at y'all today. I'm just going to be right here, all right? I'm seriously, my mom told me last week after the sermon, she goes, hey, that was a good sermon, but um, is there someone on the right side that you, like, favor? And yeah, Jim, he's making faces at me, but I was like, Bob Short. Because I'm thinking the entire time, what can I say to make fun of Bob next, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we are glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. Um, Occupy your street. If you're here and you don't know what that means, when we say your street, it means everywhere that you go on a regular basis. It means where you get your hair cut. It means where you live, who your neighbors are, where you go to eat. Um, everywhere that you frequent, your job, everywhere that you go on a regular basis, occupy that street with the gospel. And here's the thing about occupying your street. Sometimes it can be going so well, right? 
Sometimes God can be giving fruit and blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing. And those are real times. And those are easy times to go and be inspired to occupy your street all the more. But sometimes occupying your street's not easy. Sometimes we get really frustrated because we're just not seeing the fruit for our labor. Sometimes it's hard because somebody didn't respond to you in the way that you thought that they would respond to you. But I tell you, the truth is that it's not the easy moments that grow you as a Christian. It's not the easy moments that grow you in your faith. It's the hard moments. It's the days when you just want to give up. It's the days when maybe you don't even feel like God loves you, let alone loves your neighbor. It's those days when we get to pray and we get to dig deep and we get to say, no, no, no. God, you've given me your spirit. So strengthen me in your spirit. Help my unbelief. Give me strength to keep on going, to keep on going, to keep on going, to keep on going. And those are the days when God will grow your faith more than the good days. It's the hard days. Those are often the days when God will surprise you and bear fruit for your work more than the good days. Because God says, here, I've given you this little bit to be faithful with. Are you just going to be faithful with that when it's easy, right? Or are you going to be faithful with it when it gets really hard? When Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, this is how he said it in Matthew 28. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's saying, listen, in the entire universe, I have all the authority. And with all the authority in the whole universe, this is what I'm about to tell you. This is your job, okay? So listen up. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is what you're going to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even till the end of the age. So he gives the Great Commission. He gives us our mission here on earth. First, he gives it from power, right? He gives it from power because he is power. He defines what power is. He defines authority in the universe. And he says, with that power and with that authority that I alone possess, this is what I want you to do. And then he ends it by giving it with power. And that is what should be inspiring to us because he gives it from power and he gives it with power. Because every single believer is given the Holy Spirit to live inside of them and go proclaim the love of Jesus, not by your own power, but by the power of God himself through the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And, he, and Jesus says, listen, I want you to do this, but you're not going to be alone in it. I will be with you even to the end of the age. So guess what? There is no giving up on the mission. Even on the days when we feel like giving up on the mission, there's no giving up on the mission. Why? Because it's not by my own power. Like, I'm off the hook, right? Because of my own power. But I get to rely on Jesus' power. I get to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to, to push me to levels that I didn't think I could go before, to push me to places where I thought I was too afraid to go and say, God, help my unbelief. I'm going to do this anyway, so strengthen me to do it. All right, today we are going to continue um, in the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to go back 
and review, okay? Because it's been, what, this is like week five or six. Um, so let's review. The Sermon on the Mount, we're reading it from Matthew 5, so it's uh, about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. I used a different Bible last week, and it was on page, page 1,800, right? This week it's on page 810, right? So that's how different, that's how different your Bibles can be. Um, so that's absolutely no help to you. Just go three-quarters of the way through your Bible. It's the first book in the uh, New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' first large group sermon to his followers. He called his disciples to him, and these are not just as we think of Jesus' disciples. He had 12 disciples, right? This is not just his 12 disciples that he calls to them. He calls everyone in the entire group who is committed to his message, not just his miracles, right? Because there was a ton of people that followed Jesus that were committed to following him just so that they could see a miracle, But Jesus is saying, that's not why I want you to follow me. I want to know who is it in this group that is really committed to my message, not just seeing me do something cool. You come to me for what I can give you, but you don't come to me for for what I actually have to offer, for who I am, because you're in love with me. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants people who are in love with him and who want him for who he is, not just what he can do for them. So Jesus is saying by, by the entire Sermon on the Mount, if you really, and you got to make this personal this morning, if you're in this room and you really want to know what does it mean to live as part of the kingdom of God, this is how Jesus defines it. This is what he says. This is what my servants, this is what people who live as part of my kingdom live their lives like. And then Kyle, the next week, gave us a couple things to think about pertaining to the law that really set us up really good for the fact that Jesus is after our souls. He's after our hearts. He's not just after behavior modification. He's after inward change. And when you change inwardly, you will change outwardly how you live it out. And he gave us two things to think about. First, God's standard for eternal life was for someone to follow the law perfectly. And number two, you can't do it. It's impossible. You can't follow the law perfectly. So Jesus, having been or and is God and man at the same time, followed the law perfectly. In his time here on earth, he followed it perfectly. So being God, perfectly living up to God's standards for eternal life, sacrificed himself. He even says, nobody takes my life from me. This is amazing to me because Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I lay it down. Which means that Jesus thought a whole lot about you when he laid his own life down for yours, right? So Jesus, being perfect, could lay down his life once and for all, and all who come to him can be saved. In the last two weeks, we set up the letter of the law versus the intent of the law. And the Pharisees, remember we did that you might be a Pharisee if, um, they're not jokes, but they're statements, um, the Pharisees were all about the letter of the law, like this is what it says, this is what that line says, you know, commandment number six, whatever. This is what that line says, and as long as you do what it says, you're good with us and you're good with God. Because the people back then, it was a big deal not only to be in right standing with God, but to be in right standing with the religious leaders as well. Um, and that was a big deal back then. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, the intent of the law goes much deeper to the heart of a person, and it proves to us that 
Even if you've only sinned in your heart, you're still a sinner and just as much in need of a Savior as the guy next to you that actually murdered somebody. Remember, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I tell you, don't even hate in your heart. If you hate somebody, you're under the same eternal judgment as if you murdered somebody. If you lust after somebody, you're under the same eternal judgment as if you committed adultery with that person. And this is all to show us that we're all in the same boat. So what do we need to do? We need to have grace, and we need to stop comparing ourselves to the guy next to us and saying, hey, I'm better than that guy, so I'm good, right? And we do that all the time. I could tell you this over and over and over and over and over again, but our natural tendency says, as long as I don't live in Carlisle, I'm all right, right? Sorry, I just looked at him at that moment, and it came out. It just happens. Sorry. And it's funny because I'm speaking at the, the Carlisle back of the Laureate, so i got to, like, get out of the habit of doing that, because I shouldn't do it in front of a bunch of Carlisle High School students. Um, we got to stop comparing to the person next to us as far as sin goes, because with God, there is no sin scale. There is no, you're better than this person because you sin less. Everyone is in the same boat, so it allows us to have no judgment toward other people. It allows us to have grace It also allows us to come to Jesus, and after we know we're forgiven, then we live a holy life because we are forgiven, and we are freed from our chains that hold us down. So today we're going to move. It's a very short section, and so y'all can take bets on whether I'll be shorter today than I have been the last few days, but this is a short section, um, but I'm sure it's something that we all struggle with, some more than others. And we're going to call this uh, best practices today. And it's, it's probably more, it would probably be better to say best standards because these are really the standards that Jesus sets up for the people who want to live according to the kingdom of God. But best standards just sound stupid and nobody says that. So we're going to say best practices, right? It's easier to remember. So in reality, the Sermon on the Mount is all about God's standards for those living a part of his kingdom, Right? And so Jesus goes on from topic to topic to topic and says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And Jesus was not actually changing the law from the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't saying you, you read the law wrong. No, he was correctly interpreting what the law meant people. Again, Jesus goes beyond behavior modification. He gets to the heart because we change on the inside first. When Jesus changes your heart, your behavior will follow, right? It doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but it does mean those who come to Jesus, Jesus changes you. We say it all the time, come as you are, and we believe that. We believe that because we say come as you are to ourselves all the time so we don't judge people around us. But we also believe that when a human being meets with God and is changed by Jesus, they are actually changed. And the way they live changes, right? So we believe that. So let's open, if you're not there yet, Matthew 5. It's only four verses, 33 to 37. Matthew 5, verse 33. Let's read these together. Again, you have heard it said, again, this is Jesus talking. Again, you have heard it said, To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, I'm telling you, this is an opportunity for me not to be long-winded. So I want somebody to shout me down at 1130, all right? Just say, get off the stage, all right? People taking bets. I've been long-winded the past couple weeks, and I'm going to make up for it, hopefully. So, (laughs) you're all like, yeah, right, that ain't happening. Let's remember, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he was preaching to us uh, an audience that was mostly Old Testament audience. So the, the church as we know it, like gathered here today, that sounded like a wedding, but we are gathered here today as the church. They didn't know what that meant at that point. The church like it is now was not instituted until Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost to indwell believers That's when the church started. So for the people that Jesus was talking to, they knew really well what we call the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's like all of that. That's a lot. They knew that really, really well. All right, which means they would have known the Ten Commandments frontwards and backwards, right? This was like ingrained in them as a person. They also would have grown up under a religious system that was all about follow exactly what this says and you're good to go, right? They did not know much about what grace was, right? They may have heard about the grace of God because God was a gracious God to the nation of Israel over and over and over and over and over again. But these people grew up in a society that was more letter of the law type. And letter of the law type are more concerned with you following the rules than they are with the heart condition that you have as you follow the rules. Jesus was more concerned about your heart condition. He still called people to holiness. He still called people holiness. We talked about that last week, that earthly consequences to our sin don't just float away. They don't just go go away. God doesn't want that for us. Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants us to pursue holiness, but he wants us to pursue holiness because we are forgiven, not in order to be forgiven. See, because as we talk to people on our street, right, there's too many people who don't know Jesus. There's too many people in this room who do know Jesus that think this way. That I got to clean myself up before Jesus will accept me. I got to get right in my actions before I can come to Jesus. And that is totally backwards. Because guess what? Nobody's going to do it that way. It's impossible. You can't possibly clean yourself up. Guess what? That is freeing. Like, there is nothing, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing you can do to make yourself better. So stop trying so hard. Jesus is the only one that can heal a broken heart. Jesus is the only one that can put your broken pieces back together. So people do not come to Jesus in order to be accepted by cleaning themselves up. They change their behavior because they've already been forgiven. So you come to Jesus first, and then you say, now I want holiness. I want 
holiness. I want holiness because of what Jesus has done for me. So now all that said, we in this audience today understand grace a little bit more than they did. Because Jesus has already died and it is by grace alone through faith that you are saved. Right? But here's one thing that I think the Old Testament audience got a little bit more than we understand today and that we need to be reminded of, and that is a reverence and respect for the person and the holiness of who God was. Right? So this passage is good for us. We live in a society where, let me tell you this, okay? My kids go to public school. They know, and this may be true for homeschoolers as well, but I know this my kids know almost every curse word in the book. I mean, they come home regularly. I mean, I told you the F word story, right? You remember that? I mean, they just come home straight up. What does this mean? And it sounds kind of funny coming from a kid, right? It sounds kind of funny, but they know them all. It's like there's nothing that is hidden from them, right? And so they're coming home and saying, what's this mean? What's this mean? What's this mean? They're hearing them on a regular basis and cards on the table actual like swearing doesn't bother me as much anymore as it used to. I hear swearing from somebody, I'm like, boop, it's just part of their vocabulary, right? But when somebody uses the name of God in vain, it still gets under my skin, right? It still gets under my skin because we use regularly the name of Jesus Christ as a curse word, right? I've done it before. But that's on a different level. This is like, and I always tell my kids, okay, now, Judy, you just asked about like 15 words. Some of them I don't even know, but your generation has determined that that word is going to be a curse word. Like, I, you just made that up, and now it's a curse word, right? And so he's, I'm like, Judah, that's not a curse word. It's not. Yes, it is, Dad. Yes, it is. No, it's not, man. It's not a curse Well, you all made that up. So it leads me to the point that I say to him, Judy, you know, somewhere along the way, somebody decided that that word was going to be negative. Somebody decided that that was going to be a curse word. You know why? Because it was the heart behind which it was said that made it a curse word in the first place. So I said, it's not just the word. It's the heart in which you say the word. So, in other words, kids, adults, anything you say can be a curse word if you say it with the wrong attitude if you say it with anger in your heart if you say it in the wrong way towards somebody you can make any word a curse word that's why sometimes my kids get in trouble for saying something that they don't think is a swear like dad i didn't actually say that i say yeah but it's the attitude in which you said it in i'm not you're not in trouble for what you just said you're in trouble for your heart attitude right now and you need to learn that that's not okay and all those other words that are curse words according to uh, society, we try to stay away from those because normal people on an everyday basis tag a negative connotation to those words, right? But it's the heart in which you say the word that makes it a curse word, right? We hear, hear this all the time as just a flippant thing. You hear the name of Jesus used as a curse word. You hear, I swear to God. People say, I swear to God. It even, I even don't like saying it here. But you say that in, a, in an attempt to give more weight to something that somebody doesn't believe that you just said, right? You tell them a story and they're like, yeah, it didn't happen. And then you say that, right? 
We use it so easily and so flippantly, but this passage is really Jesus reminding us as we hear this and reminding that crowd who would have known the Ten Commandments very well of the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This is Jesus calling this crowd back, back, back to a reverence and a, for the holiness and the position of God in their lives, right? For us, it's a little different because when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated common places from the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies was the place in the temple where the very present, where God actually came down to meet with the priest, right? And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, the curtain that separated the common places from the Holy of Holies was torn in two, and at that moment, the presence of God in the name of Jesus was available to people anywhere all the time, right? And Jesus himself even says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. So literally, in this room this morning, we are gathered in the name of Jesus. He is here in our midst his very presence is with us. And do we understand the importance of that, the heaviness of that? Not heaviness in a negative way, but the reverence and the respect and the attitude and the honor that we need to show God in his very presence. When we come together or when you're in your prayer closet at home, the name of God is to be revered, it is to be feared, it is to be respected, and it is to be honored. God is a personal God, right? Which makes it all the more amazing that God, a God who is to be respected, who is to be feared, who is holy, oftentimes in the Old Testament, they would say, to see God was to see death. If you saw the face of God, you will surely die. They were constantly amazed when someone could be in the presence of God and still live. That's the audience that was hearing this. But we see God, we constantly talk about God as a personal God. And because of the blood of Jesus, because he died for us, th these two things fit together so perfectly to make this absolutely amazing, and it should blow our minds that as holy as God is, unable to be in the presence of sin, because he is so holy, he cannot put up with sin, yet he is right here with you and wants a relationship with you because of what Jesus has done for you. So the first thing that Jesus is reminding these people is don't don't not only don't swear by God, don't swear by heaven because it's his throne, don't swear by earth because it's his footstool, and don't swear by Jerusalem because you associate that as the place that you go to worship God. Anything that you associate with God, don't swear by those things. Actually, you know what? Don't swear at all, right? And I'm not just saying don't use curse words. Don't make oaths because you're human and you can't keep them. Just don't do that. Don't swear at all. Have a, have a reverence for the holiness of God. The second thing is, we have this thing in our family, and I'm not sure how far this goes back into Heather's family, so if it's a negative thing, it came from her family, all right? 
I'm just kidding. It's, 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 it's been very useful in our home, but I'm not sure yet. You can tell me after I say this if it's positive or negative. I'm still figuring that out. But we have this phrase that we use. Like Heather and I like to joke with each other um, and uh, prank the kids as often as possible. Um, and so we have this phrase, um, and it's, it's called honest to truth, right? And I don't even really know what that means, but when somebody says that to you in your house and you just said something to them, at that moment, that's like, I have to tell the truth right now. Because if I lie when somebody's called me out on honest to truth, when they say, hey, honest to truth, uh, if I lie in that moment, I've like reached a new level of liar. Like there's no coming back from lying after somebody says honest to truth to you. So here's an example. I would say, maybe I'd say this to Judah. Because... Um, He's, he just thinks, and he's smarter than me sometimes. They say, I say, Judah, uh, you know, it's been just a long week. You guys are exhausted. Um, you, the kids are all going to go to bed at 6 o'clock tonight because mom and dad just need some time to spend together. And he knows, like, normally they go to bed at 8.30, so 6 o'clock, that's a little extreme. And Judah's smart enough to say, Dad, you've got to be joking. So he calls me out right away. Honest the truth? And I can't lie at that moment. I would love to go on with the joke and just like convince him all the way up to bedtime, even to tears. Like that's how evil I am sometimes. But it's like I, he says that and I just can't lie because if I lie, it's like I, have lo- I will lose his trust for the rest of my life if I lie on honest to truth. So I, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Judah. You guys are going to bed at normal time. It's all good. Um, right? And so occasionally, occasionally, my conscience will get the best of me, and if I'm actually telling the truth, like sometimes he pulls honest to truth on me when I'm actually telling the truth, and, I'm, and then I can keep going with it, right? But when I'm actually telling the truth, my conscience somehow gets the best of me, and he, he'll say honest to truth, and I'll say, you know what, Judah? Uh, the Bible says um, that we should just let our yes be yes and our no be no, so you shouldn't even have to say that to me, dude. You should just trust your dad, like that I'm telling the truth. Just trust your dad. And, like, when half the time I'm lying to him. But, I said, like, trust your dad, dude. You, so I said yes, so I mean yes, right? So the other day I was joking with him about something. I don't even remember what it was because, and I was lying, okay? But I said this to him, and he says to me, I expected honest to truth to come back at me. And instead of saying honest to truth, he goes, Dad. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm like, you are not allowed to use the Bible against me, buddy. You're like, I'm your dad. You can't do that, right? So anyway, all that to say, Jesus was calling his followers to be people of integrity enough to say, you shouldn't have to swear by anything, right? You shouldn't have to say, oh, I swear by this, I swear by this, I swear by this, I swear by this. You shouldn't have to do that because God's people are people of integrity. God's people are, are, are people that when they say yes, they actually mean yes. They're people known for their honesty. They're people known for keeping their promises. When you say yes, you follow through. When you say no, you mean no, right? We speak the truth, and we are people of integrity and love. That doesn't mean don't have fun with your kids at home, but somewhere along the way, we have to cross the bridge to teach them how to be people of integrity, how to be people of honesty. So first, respect the holiness of God and his name. And secondly, be people who can be trusted. 
Be people of integrity. Be people of honesty, right? I mean, you've heard it said when you lie, you have to cover a lie with another lie and another lie and another lie and another lie and another lie. The only way to get out of the lie is lie again, right? The only thing that works every time is the truth. It may bring pain, but we let our yes be yes and our no be no, even when it's an inconvenience to me. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, live up to that. Let's be honest people. Let's not have the world outside say, I was counting on these people to do this, and they did not come through for me, right? The world from the outside should look at us as a church, should look at the church as a whole, and say, man, those are people of integrity. I can trust those people. So number one, uphold the holiness of God and respect his presence, right? And number two, be people of honesty and integrity. The band is going to come back up. And uh, as they come back up, I want to remind you of a few things. As Jesus speaks the entire Sermon on the Mount, he was always the perfect example of anything he told his disciples. So if he said, you've heard it said this, but you should live like this. You've heard this said, but you should live like this. You should not make an oath, but you should be a person of your word, right? Jesus was the perfect example of someone who lived that outright every single time. I mean, if Jesus was to swear by anyone, he could swear by himself, right? The most powerful name in the universe, and you can take it to the bank that Jesus will live by and keep his promises every single time. And so, as we get ready to continue in worship together, I just want to read some of the promises that Jesus made and that God made to his people in Scripture. Jesus, did you know this? This is crazy. Jesus made over two hundred promises to his disciples. Every single one of them true. Every single one of them true. And I'm only going to read a few to, to you. Along the way, he reminded his disciples, if the Father, his Father, Father God, if the Father feeds the birds, how much more will he feed you? And as I say this, y'all need to take these personal as well, because he's speaking these to you. If the Father clothes the flowers of the field, how much more will he clothe you? He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's all the things that we worry about. The money, the how are we going to get by, the clothes, the food, the home. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. He says, I will give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will take them from me. And this one is inspiring. He says, Jesus says this about the church, and this is us. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So remember that the next time you go out to occupy your street. The gates of hell cannot take down Jesus' mission for the church. Jesus said to his disciples, I will be with you even till the end of the age. And then he said, God said this, the one who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. 
So Jesus promises a sure way of salvation that you can't lose. Jesus promises a sure way to freedom as we live on this earth. And that's what we remember now. So we're going to just take a time to worship and remember Jesus by taking the bread and the cup. These are symbols that he gave to us to remember his broken body and his blood shed. And Heather says this to me all the time. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that saves except the blood of Jesus. And there's nothing that gives freedom except the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just pray that even as we speak um, just about our own integrity as your people, we would be reminded of your holiness. And God, in your holiness, you want and desire a relationship with us. You desire to be with us. You desire to be close to us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It is all possible. So I, again, just pray that we can sit in these moments as we worship in freedom from guilt and shame that you have taken our sins away, that you love us beyond what we can imagine. And we want to worship you, Jesus, for that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My daughter, Margo, she um, just loves looking pretty. She loves wearing dresses. She loves all that stuff. And so she always asks, um, what's tomorrow? And if I say tomorrow's Sunday, she has no idea what I mean. But if I say it's church day, she gets all excited, right? And she's like, oh, great. I'm going to go find a dress to wear. And so, like, it just makes me, it, like, at times, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I want to say, Margo, you can be beautiful every day of the week. And it has nothing to do with what you wear right? And, and then sometimes my, my boys will think, Dad, why are you going to church today? Because I'm dressed up in the middle of the week, right? And so I, I, I like to be very intentional with telling my kids, listen, God could care less what you wear. He doesn't care. I want you to go to church in shorts and flip-flops and all that stuff, because he could care less what you wear. And I heard this from a distance today, um, somebody challenging, and I have no idea what the context was, but somebody challenging, why is that person not wearing a tie? Is that why we're at church? Like, really? Is that why we're at church? To wear ties on Mother's Day? Right? I said, my mom used to tell me, you are not allowed to wear jeans to church. God be khakis. Right? Now my mom's like, oh, what's the last tattoo you got? Right? <laughs> She's all excited. It's not necessarily because she's chained. I mean, it's like Jesus is all that matters, right? We come to church. The challenge is some of you look really good. Some of you look terrible, right? And God doesn't care. He doesn't care because on the outside, you look good, and he looks at your heart, and it's all sorts of messed up. And I'm not talking about you, you sinned yesterday or you're broken or whatever. I'm talking about the hypocritical attitudes, right? And so when we talk about honoring God, I don't just mean show up to church looking good. I mean, this summer we should have church outside sometime and we should all wear stuff that we don't care about getting dirty because y'all sitting on the ground, right? 
doesn't matter. So wear whatever the heck you want to church, okay? I'm not going to judge you. I might tell you to dress down sometimes. Because <laughs> you make me look bad. Constantly. But you need to know, honoring God has nothing to do with your outward appearance. It has everything to do with your heart. So that's the challenge. That this morning as we sing this last song, it's called Good, Good Father. And we sing to our good, good father. We are honoring him by checking our hearts, not looking at the person next to us. Not worrying about this person showed up this way this morning. This person is this. This person is that. It's like, who am I to Jesus? Right? That is the only thing that matters. If you showed up looking great this morning, good for you. If you showed up looking not so great this morning, good for you. It doesn't matter. Where is your heart? right now if you've come to Jesus one thing is true about you you are forgiven and that's the truth you need to live in so let's sing to our father our good good father because that's what he cares about he has rescued and healed our broken hearts